Hello and welcome. You are listening to an informed take on current events brought to you by law students and staff of Queen's University Belfast. This is LawPod. Hi, I'm Lauren Dempster. Welcome to LawPod. The focus of today's episode is the Conflict Textiles Project and its exhibition, Following the Footsteps of the Disappeared. I'm joined by two guests who can tell us more. Could you both please introduce yourselves? Hello, Lauren. Um, my name is Roberta Bacic, and I am the collector and curator of Conflict Textiles collection. So our collection is a very broad recollection of textiles that respond to political conflict, especially draws into the topic of the disappeared, the pledge of the relatives for the search of the disappeared, the work of transitional justice in that part of the discipline, and also it draws into human rights violations and promoting a culture of human rights. So that's what we try to discuss through textile language, in which the textile word takes prominence to other forms of language. Do you want to introduce yourself? Hello, my name is Breege Doherty and I work as assistant curator with Roberta on the Conflict Textiles Collection. I've been doing so since 2011 and my work was varied, working with Roberta on exhibitions. A huge focus of my work is uh, on the captions that accompany the textile pieces, linking in with the makers, giving some background on the context of what's happening and nuancing the captions to the particular theme of each exhibition. That's great. Thanks, Roberta and Brige. To begin with then, Roberta, can you tell us a bit more about the Conflict Textiles Project and specifically the Footsteps of the Disappeared exhibition? And I guess for our listeners who may not be familiar, what is a Conflict Textile? Well, it Conflict textiles, maybe I will start from the end of your question, Mm -hmm. is a testimony, a tactile demonstration and picture of human rights violations that have affected people. Mostly these textiles are written in the first person. That means a person who endures an experience of human rights violations takes the time process to work on the internal and external elements of this violation and turns it into a palpable piece that we can see. So it accumulates also a lot of reflection but also a lot of time because the person has to deal with the issue, has to create a concept and has to take the time to go with the stitch in and out. So we would call ourselves more than a project, we would say that we are an archive, a live archive that documents all kinds of textiles that we receive and that women and men are doing, but we also document all the exhibitions we have had today and we also document all the associated activities. So our remit is quite extensive, 
I am from Chile, so sometimes I hesitate with finding the exact word in English, but that's the way we try to represent and to portray this culture of human rights uh, violations and a way to deal with that and make it accessible in different places of the world. We work transnationally with projects in different parts of the world, but we are based in Northern Ireland and we are based on Kane, our electronic archive, as part of the Kane website and we are an associated site. So there resides our online collection and in store we have around 250 pieces plus other documented pieces with the artists or the makers in different parts of the world. Thank you, Roberta. Do you want to say a bit more about the exhibition that's currently uh, available online? Well, the exhibition we have presently is following the footsteps of the disappeared. It's a long-standing project that we started about five years ago with the first exhibition last year on the 30th of August to mark International Day of the Disappeared in Chile. Because being from Chile and having worked with the relatives of the disappeared for over 30 years, I also worked for the Corporación Nacional de Reparación y Reconciliación. So I had a pending debt to go back to Chile and have an exhibition with the relatives there. So on the 30th of August last year, 2019, we did a pilgrimage in the city where I worked and marked the day on the streets, but also in an exhibition. And we also launched a video that we had produced during the dictatorship and was remastered by the Museum of Memory and Human Rights. So we could bring it to the people who had been the protagonists at the time, 30 years later. It was a great moment of re-encounter people that I hadn't seen for 30 years or more. And the idea was then to extend this project into a very long-standing uh, process because having moved to live in Northern Ireland, we wanted to have the exhibition now this year in Northern Ireland. We had committed with the Ulster Museum to have it on the walls there, but we couldn't. So we have it online at the Ulster Museum, but we also produced a short video documentary that shows all the pieces on display in the air and giving an idea that they are not pictures, that they are real materials. So associated with that, we have a corner, a wall, at the McGee Library, where we also represent textiles in permanent, in a permanent way that they rotate. So the idea is to have this as an ongoing process that develops over the years. Next year, in on the 30th of October, sorry, of August, we will have it again in the museum if now it's going to be open, and from there it will go to Mexico. So. In each moment, it takes different dimensions. It's the core exhibition, but with particular activities in the different places and associated 
events that are tailored around important important days that we need to mark as human rights. So this year we will have an event on the 10th of December here in Northern Ireland, and next year we will be hopefully in Mexico. Thank you, Roberta. We will post links to the project and the exhibition in our show notes. So for any listeners who are interested, they can look those up. By way then of illustration for our listeners, could you perhaps each please describe one textile from the exhibition? Brige, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Lauren. And the piece that I have chosen, it's very fresh in my mind because I have worked on it in the last few months with Shari Paul from Zimbabwe and uh, with Roberta. And this piece, as I say, from Zimbabwe, titled For Paul, disappeared 8th of February 2012. And Shari created this piece uh, six years after her colleague and dear friend Paul Shizuzu was disappeared. He was a stalwart human rights defender for several decades and worked with her in the Solidarity Peace Trust. And Ashari, in her description, he was an activist who searched for other activists and never gave up. And I suppose Paul's disappearance is against the backdrop of what was happening in Zimbabwe during the Mugabe era, when uh, over, you know, the 30 plus years of uh, brutal repression, uh, suppression of dissent, human rights abuses, killings, and forced disappearances, and over 20,000 people would have disappeared in Zimbabwe during the state-sanctioned uh, violence known as Gukurahundi. So I think, you know, for Shari, when she took up her needle and thread to embody um, her experiences, to embody the search, to embody his disappearance, uh, she was really, you know, trying to reconnect with him. And she tries to imagine his resting place. And I think this is back to your question of what do the textiles mean and what do they embody in terms of enforced disappearances and the experience of the family and loved ones reconnecting with the person. So one comment that she had said, you know, what happened to, they'd worked together for 18 years before his abduction, and she says, what happened to him? We do not know. So it's that, uh, those simple words, we just don't know. She can imagine, she can envision. So what she has done with the fabric and the needle and thread, with the layers of cloth, she has created his grave and she uh, covered his bones with foliage and leaves from her fabric and she's put him in the earth at rest. And she speaks of the loss being so profound and of how, you know, in her work with families with the Hulu Trust over a number of years, working with families of the disappeared, of exhuming graves, of reuniting families with the bones of their loved ones, none of this prepared her for the enormity of her friend Paul's loss. And she says, I think of him so often, like she works through the layers and she's going through the layers of the RPRA, going through reflecting on other uh, families who have voiced their stories of human rights abuses. And, you know, this is what she said, just the experiencing firsthand the shock and the despair of losing someone she cared about so deeply. 
So there's multiple layers within this piece. Uh, she, she accompanied it then with a poem and one of the lines that she says, you know, a friend will follow signs until she finds you. I will never leave you hidden alone. And that was a poem that she wrote after his disappearance. Then this textile came six years later in 2018. And it's been shown for the first time as parts of following the footsteps of the disappeared exhibition which is what Shari is doing in this piece, following his footsteps. So it's a very, yeah, as I say, multiple layers within this, and it's a very poignant piece. Even the colours that she uses, the foliage, the earth, the bones in a resting position. Thank you, Brige. That's That's extremely moving. Roberta, would you like to tell us about one of the textiles? Yes, I, I would like to refer to a very classical Chilean arpillera that were the first political testimonies that women could give in Chile under the dictatorship. And we have online now, but we have it in the flesh, as my colleague from the VNA says, the piece made by Irma Müller. Irma Müller, a middle-class lady during the Allende times, having her son very committed to grassroots and being a filmmaker. And when the dictatorship started, her son told her about what was going on on the, on the ground, and the mother couldn't believe it. She felt that it, it can't happen. She, she had no notion. And a few years later, her son disappears with the girlfriend, is arrested, people see it. So she suddenly, from being incredulous and distant and not wanting to recognize that happening, started to look for her son. And the first thing she did was an arpillera that says, where are the disappeared? So that's the question that torments the relatives of the disappeared. And they have had so many ways to re represent it. But this textile, as one of the women told me, it's so wonderfully tactile that I almost can touch my son. I can cry and it takes my, my uh, tears. So the textile element being so relevant also because we have to dress every day and we have to eat every day. So two basic functions, so a mother, a wife, a friend, whoever knows that the textile element is present in the clothing of the person who disappears and in us. So the use of these scraps of materials that the women, for people in the program that might not know what an arpillera is, it's a small picture of an event or a person made through scraps of material and a needle and some thread and nothing but that. The relevant thing of these pieces was that the women would have not wanted to turn it into anything practical but a picture. So they brought the domestic use of sewing into the political arena. They transformed their search the despair in community groups to do it individually but sitting together. 
Now, the piece that I describe is very poignant, and it's at the core of our exhibition, and it's what we have part of it on our Twitter account, and it's a group of women standing in front of the courts in Chile with a protest, protesting and with a banner that reads, where are the disappeared in Spanish? Donde están los desaparecidos? And what is very relevant here is that each of the people who are there is people that were actually on the day protesting. So we have it like a textile photograph of the events of the day. And we call it a first-hand experience. It's what the women were living at the time. Now we, through the use of this textile, can have a little insight into that experience, but we cannot have half of what they have experienced through. It also demonstrates that they were not passive accepting what happened or protesting at home. They went to the streets in dangerous conditions. And we can see on the textile the police car and the policemen surrounding them. So the picture is complete. It's them. And in many cases, the characters, as I say, are the people who were there, but to make them, they used little scraps of materials of their own clothing. That makes that some of the pieces of our collection uh, were made with clothes of a disappeared person that makes it so poignant and so relevant and so palpable. But on the other hand, allowed the women who made them, and men also, to have a direct touch of what happened, but feel also that they were actors and responding to what happened. So it's a, it's a way of saying, I was there. This is what I did, and this is what happened to us. So that's the piece that's there, and maybe an important element to say that this arpillera, like many arpilleras from Chile, has a son. But the sun is represented as a political statement that the sun shines for everybody. And in this particular piece that is quite different to most, we have some clouds, the shadows, the shadow of the women demonstrating and that the police might arrest them in any moment. And we do know that at that action, three women were arrested. So we have layers of narrative that we acquire over the years through the exposure of our pieces. We didn't know before, but somebody who saw the piece online in our Kane archive could remember the action and say, we actually were there and such and such and I and myself was arrested. That's an information I collected last year in Chile. So the layers are incredibly rich, and we could have a session just to describe one or two, telling what happens behind. Thank you both for that. I think those descriptions really demonstrate how powerful these, these textiles can be. I guess sort of in my understanding of, of conflict textiles, they sort of function as both a mode of memorialization, but also a tool of activism or mobilization, so they draw attention to the fate of the disappeared. Brij, could you perhaps tell us more about the role played by these textiles in responding or reacting to the practice of enforced disappearance? 
Okay, Lauren. Um, and I suppose just to add to that as well, uh, yeah, very important in terms of uh, reacting to the practice of enforced disappearances and also making visible the search for the disappeared as well. Uh, very much focusing on the fate of the families and communities who search, uh, very much linking into the documenting of the suspended lives of the families. And I'll just focus, Lauren, on two pieces that uh, are good, you know, give a good example of that. And one is very, it's a Chilean piece by uh, Nicole Drouley, uh, Stitching the Search. Uh, it's a quilt, I know Roberta has talked about RPRs, this is quite a large quilt and it relates to her sister Jacqueline and her husband Marcelo who were disappeared on October the 30th, 1974. So that's just, you know, if we think of that, that's almost 46 years ago next month on the 30th of October. So they were abducted from their homes in Santiago by the security police. Uh, the family, her sister, uh, Nicole, and the, fa the wider family, they embarked on a search process, a painstaking search process, but they never saw her again, never recovered her remains, and never knew the fate of her unborn child. So in this quilt then that uh, Nicole completed in 2014, and really, as the title suggests, stitching the search, she gives us an insight to that whole process. She shares memories from the life of her older sister. There's letters within it that uh, would have been from her mother to her sister. But she focuses very much, you know, what you said about memorialising, person memorialising search. So she brings us through the different stages of the search. And it's very poignant, beginning with the search for a living person, and then gradually realising that they wouldn't find her alive. And uh, finally then, facing that reality of never seeing her again. So she brings us through all those different stages. And it's very interesting as well, the way the quilt provides solace. She talks about the geometric designs. It gives an order, I suppose, to the chaos that she is living all these years in this ongoing search. She talks about mandalas as well, which guide her actions. So that's very much at her level. And then uh, I suppose within the different exhibitions, we have brought it to various audiences uh, who have engaged in reflection in action. And that's very important to Nicole and to other quilters as well. Uh, and she talks about people who pause to view her quilt. I thank them for the passing minutes that they dedicate to observe thinking about Jacqueline. So it's very much uh, linking in in a very tangible way. So that's one piece that you know describes, that links into the question that you were asking from Chile. I'll speak very briefly, if I may, about another one. It's from Mexico, and this was done by Deborah Stockdale, who lives in Ireland, originally from America. And this is, piece is called The Earth Always Remembers. 
And so rooted in Mexico, the war on drugs, which has claimed the lives of 150,000 people, 27,000, more than 27,000 cases of disappearances. So for families, their frustration at the lack of access to case files and essential information leads them to dig up the search themselves. So in this piece, I suppose brown is really the predominant colour that Deborah uses. And she depicts families in this search, in this arduous process of searching for the bodies. Using pro she depicts this rough burials, families taking families taking part in the process of uh, searching for their relatives, using metal probes to find bones, remains, sometimes clothing and sometimes human ashes. And she depicts that, I suppose what's very clear in this piece as well, is she uses very prominent eyes at the bottom corner of the piece. And it's very much putting across that thing that the earth, as well as people remembering that the earth remembers. So she links us very strongly into that. And what comes across strongly in this piece as well is that, and it's what a Dr. Alan Fieldman describes as cultural anesthesia, the loss of loss, that how can people speak publicly about their loss when the regime that allows its own people to disappear is in power? So that's it's a very strong challenge to the current regime and you know to work with these families in their loss. And Deborah's piece, it's a very strong reminder of the various layers again within within this whole painstaking search, the impact on the families over the years, which doesn't end for many of them. Thank you, Breege. Roberta, you've touched on this a little bit already, but could you tell us more about why textiles? So what is it about this particular medium that results in it being used in this way? Well, I will complement what I said with the idea that when you go through very difficult moments, you very often don't find the words to express it. So you have to find a way to be witness of your own story. And I think this element is so relevant and palpable in the textile because of what I mentioned of this immediacy, how it connects you to the daily existence of a person. We have to be aware that textiles are not only used for clothing, it's only it's also used for our bedding but it's also used negatively because the it's accepted that is something so basic so when you are a political prisoner you very often have to wear garments that are made to humiliate you and it's again how you are seen by the other we also know that when people are arrested and tortured, they have a bandage on their eyes and it's also textile. So this element to use the textile material on the one hand to dignify, to show the events that happen like in the one I described, but also as a way of resist the silences 
and to be able to elicit your word and stand from wherever you are, because ordinary women would have not had any chance to speak out. So they looked for this new language that I call, and we had here in Northern Ireland a seminar, a colloquium, to discuss textile language in 2017 and brought together quite a number of practitioners and um, academics to explore this possibility of testifying resistance and also testimonial through this medium. And this has taken us into an incredible journey that we now have in the official archives of accounts of the conflict, 10 textiles from Northern Ireland, from people who did not speak out in the oral way, did not write their testimony, but they sought their testimony. So they are possible to be found in the archives. So we have broadened the mediums by which you can speak out or testify, because not everybody is good at going to the streets and protest, but you can leave your trace in the way you can speak out the best and represents you best. So that would be one of the things. And personally, I have been attached to memorabilia from my family who survived the Second World War and to hold on to some of those material representations of their transit from their country of origin and their journey on, on a ship to Argentina and Chile. So this, the trace that you leave through the textile is very important. Thank you, Roberta. My final question then, Brige, for our listeners, could you tell them where they can see the exhibition and for how long? Okay. Uh, well, it's on our Conflict Textiles website from August, which has just passed, until August 2021. It's also hosted on the Ulster Museum website, until the end of August next year. So there's, and on that, we have various information on the workshop seminars that took place recently. As well, on the Ulster Museum website, there's a compilation of the different pieces, information on each piece. And I suppose it lays the groundwork for an exhibition that will be in 2021 with Ulster Museum and that will be marking the 10th anniversary of the inaugural observance of the International Day of Victims of Enforced Disappearances which was first observed in 2011. So it's either Conflict Textiles website or the Ulster Museum website. That's great. Thank you, Bridge. And we can include links to both of those websites in the show notes for our listeners. Thank you both, Roberta and Bridge. Those um, stories were, were really moving and it was really fascinating to hear more about the, the textiles and, and the exhibition. So thank you both for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.